Welcome to Last Chance Theater. I'm Justin. And I'm Laura. Today we're going to be talking about Newsies. The 1992 uh, movie starring Christian Bale and uh, Bill Pullman? Bill Pullman, Robert uh, Duvall, and Anne Margaret. That's right. Robert Duvall, I did... I was like, Robert Duvall's in a weird beard. I'm pretty sure it's a fake beard. But he looked just like uh, Pulitzer, so that was kind of cool. I mean, that and, would be and the Mar- idea since he played Pulitzer. But I mean, he looked like the photos of Pulitzer you see. And Anne Margaret, when I saw Anne Margaret, I was like, holy shit, Anne Margaret. <laughs> like, it was a big surprise to see her. Um, well, fun you know. fact, she used to be top billing with uh, Robert Duvall until Christian Bale became famous and they re-released all the covers for this movie. I mean, she's actually in this movie a lot, and so is Duvall. Like, they're not, it's not one of those things where they're just switching them in to make them, uh, make the movie sell better. They're in there a fair bit. I mean, the kids are definitely the stars, but they're in there a lot. I would argue that Anne Margaret's character isn't entirely important. Um, she's there to add some star power, I think, and to have a sympathetic adult before you meet Bill Pullman's character. Yeah, um, there's a lot in this movie that I was like, this connects back to other movies. Like, uh, there's a guy who plays Snyder. I don't know his name. Um, Snyder, to me, looked like Damien Dark from uh, <laughs> from Arrow. <laughs> and so I was like, that character's immortal or something. You could be like, this is a prequel to Arrow. <laughs> he just goes to jail and gets out later. And... Um, I also want to say that this felt like a DiCaprio movie I heard about, but can't remember the name of. So I might have confused that movie with this movie at one point in time, too. Are you thinking of Gangs of New York? Yes, I am. That's a very uh, a different different movie. That one has a lot of blood and naked people. Um, Other than there not being any blood, this is a violent fucking film. Isn't it for a kid's movie? Smoking. Yeah, there are kids smoking constantly. I'm pretty sure they're drinking liquor at one point. They don't say it, but like he has a glass of what what could be Coke, but it just looks too dark and like not like Coke. They also curse. And like for they a curse, Disney for a Disney movie, this is crazy. It, especially back then, this is pre Pirates of the Caribbean when Disney didn't know they could do dark things and and you know. Um, even this is this might be before Beauty and the Beast, even when they no, tried to like after win awards for it. It was um, after Beauty and the Beast. As one of the things I was looking up when I was kind of verifying a lot of the, the trivia little factoids that I know, um, this movie was originally intended to be a drama, but after Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast did so well, they decided to make it a musical. Which and, is why and Beauty it's so and the dark. Beast is. Beauty and the Beast is where they started their sort of Oscar aspirations. And so I could see how that would change how they think about, you know, making movies. But this movie was like, it was one of those things where it was dark, but it was also like a musical. It was like they changed, they changed enough to make it appealing to a wider audience, but they didn't change like the plot at all. They just changed like added songs and stuff. Like, yeah, it's a very dark movie. There's a lot about child abuse and child exploitation. And there's even some, you know, racist jokes and stuff in there that are just really jarring to see <laughs> in a Disney movie. There's some there's some weird racial stuff. There's some there's some stuff that's a little bit like sexually disturbing later on in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's um there's like 
some union busting stuff, some like pro union stuff. Like this is like a lot of a lot of weird messages going around at once. Um, there is uh, it. It's a much darker sort of take on like the children being like in an orphanage or whatever. Like he basically calls it a kid jail. Well, and then even the boys. That that isn't a true orphanage. That is like kind of like a juvenile hall, more type of situation. Because those are kids that have committed crimes, like kids that have been busted for stealing. Oh, okay. So even well, kids that have parents can go there. But even the kids that are in the newspaper, their boarding house, like room, yeah, like it's like a barracks. Like they're all like just like living together, and like the boys are like laying around smoking and like you know. They're talking about, I think they're talking about gambling at one point and oh, marble yeah. shooting. Racetrack um, Higgins, he has all the bets on the horses. Yeah, exactly. He said something about being down at the at the racetrack that day. And um, people from Brooklyn are apparently elves because everybody from Brooklyn can use a slingshot, like, like dead eye, use one and just hit people that are, you know, holding another child or like dead in the neck or whatever else. Um I did like the Brooklyn thing though. Like it just made me kind of laugh because um, all the neighborhoods come in. Like they even have signs with their name on them at one point. Like this is the Brooklyn and Bronx, and it was just like this is a weird film. Well, I mean that's true of New York City today. Like every piece of New York is its own identity, so you don't always like to be confused with like another part of New York. I didn't see Queens in there, but I thought about that Spider-Man, Captain America thing. They do, yeah. I saw Bronx and I saw Brooklyn. There's a point where they're holding signs up on either side of the screen. And um, I also, I don't know where they shot this at, but they did a really good job of making it look like it was old. Like, it doesn't ever look like they're just in a regular street where, you know, a car could pass by or whatever. Oh, yeah. I think the sets in this movie are incredibly detailed. Like, it doesn't look, like, I'm pretty sure it is a back lot, but it doesn't look like a back lot. Yeah, it's probably like a four or five block back lot that they were just shooting around in a circle. But, you know, there's enough of it that you don't see the same angle over and over again or see the and same it just, spot. It looks like everything looks like appropriately aged. Like it doesn't, I don't know, some things you can just tell are super fake in a lot of movies. And I don't get that from this, even though it had a fairly low budget. Um. Christian Bale, like, looks fairly dirty, which we haven't really discussed Christian Bale yet. Baby like, Christian when Bale. Like, first... I, I was just like baby Bale. Like I, I did not like seeing Christian Bale young when I first started the movie. I was like, oh, it's like they, it was like Uncanny Valley. It's like when they use CGI to put a younger face on someone in Star Wars or the Marvel movies. <laughs> I just, it didn't feel right or natural at all. I, and, I have mixed feelings about Bale in this movie because I love this movie and I actually like him in this movie. But he has since said that this is like the biggest regret of his career. And to me, that's just, that's so insulting. Like, this is one of his biggest roles that got him to where he is. So it's just, it's really disappointing that he hates it so much. I mean, I could see why you would hate this as an actor. It's, it's, it is a little weird. Like, there's a lot of weird dancing. Um, like, there's a lot of him doing a weird voice. It's like a prototype bat voice. It's like a, like a husky sort of light throaty thing he does a lot. Um, but he's not doing a bad job. Like he's definitely not doing a bad job acting and he's 18 here. I think is what I remember seeing. I think like, he's somewhere I around 17, 
but it's it's like this is a big job for you like why would you hate on this when you've done so many worse things in your career like the terminator movie he was in and just (laughs) (laughs) he's done so many worse projects and this actually has like a strong cult following like people love it people love him for it and yet he just shits on it all the time I've never actually heard him even talk about it, but I haven't heard much Bale interviews. He, he but, I mean, talks like, about it I in hear... some Batman interviews, and he just he talks about how he hates it <laughs> and how he thinks he's going to get demonized for saying anything bad about it, but he hates it. That's kind of sad. Like, I'm not like a huge fan of this, obviously, but at the same time, I I I get why he definitely got a start from this, and it, it's like you know a lot of stars have an embarrassing film in their past to them. I'm sure that Jennifer Aniston's upset about is it Leprechaun, but you know it's that's that's how you get famous. That's how you become an actor. Like that's just it's you pay your dues. You do some bad movies, and this one isn't even truly bad. Yeah, I would say this is not a bad movie. Like it's definitely if they had taken the music out of it completely, I would probably have been like a lot more like on its side but at a certain point i just kind of pretended like they were flash mobs that just didn't make much sense and it kind of helped i love the um, music for this like it's great music but you love musicals yes but i mean this this music is written by alan menken like he did little mermaid like this is good music well some of the some of the music for the movie isn't bad um and i can't remember who it is i think it's the director who also directed like all those high school musical movies kenny ortega is best known for the high school musical franchise so I mean, this guy just makes musicals. Like he makes big, big. He does other things as well, but that's one of his biggest things is the High School Musical franchise. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I've never seen any of those either. But this wasn't a bad musical. It's just always weird to me to watch musicals because I feel like they just I don't know they the suspension of disbelief for me is a lot harder with like people singing and. Even in the, even in the like uh, Disney cartoon movies, I prefer when there's no music. What's wrong um, with you? Now I take I, I don't say that all the time because some of the songs are just not good. Like if there's like filler songs in there, I'm just not about that. Musicals but, are know, amazing some, though. Like how can you not enjoy a good musical? They're so because I don't know many good the, the musicals. The songs provide as, like as a catharsis and like really establish emotion and things like that. Like they're good. I don't know. I'm, I'm just not a musical person um, in terms of movies, I mean. And it doesn't bother me so much. Like, I'm not going to just be like, oh, I can't watch this or dump on it because it's a musical. But if it was the kind of musical where they sang the whole time, I can't do that. Like, if they're talking occasionally in between and stuff, that's fine. But I know some musicals, they just never stop singing. Well, those are considered operas. Well, I was worried this might be when I was like, oh, God, at least they're talking, so I'm fine. They talk through most of the There's actually very few songs in this movie. There are. There are. There's there's some, like, there's some dance numbers, and then there's some, like, some kind of large-scale sweeping songs that are, like, all-inclusive for, like, a lot of the cast. And there's also very few of the people singing by themselves songs. Um, they don't seem as sprinkled throughout the movie i guess because they they converted it so i wanted to know what you thought about how the whole movie is basically just sepia toned <laughs> that bother uh, you bother did you me. like it 
No, that doesn't bother me. I like I watch CW shows. If you're bothered by color transitions or weird filters, you can't watch anything on the CW because just Riverdale alone has 80 filters an episode. And this was at least consistently the same sort of filter. And I watched a, I watched an HD copy of it that was thankfully in widescreen too because I was just like, if this is not widescreen, it's going to really bother me. And um, so picky, Jesus. I, well, it's just weird to watch like square movies on a huge screen where they're just in the middle. It's just weird to me all the time. But they, the colors didn't look too weird. It, you know what it looked like to me? It looked like, um, like a steampunk kind of feel to it because of that filter. Like that's what I thought of. Like the color. The way the colors, like the reds, kind of popped a certain way. It didn't bother me. Well, I mean, so you you talked about Gangs of New York a little bit earlier. It like comparing the two, like this movie, like it's Newsies has like the has that sepia tone to the whole production, where everything's just kind of more brown to make it look old. Mm-hmm. Whereas like Gangs of New York does rely on like having the high contrast color because they want you to see like that blood against the snow and against the gray of the city. So it's just it's an interesting. Contrasts between the two movies that are set not the exact same time, but relatively the same time. Apparently, I need to watch Games in New York because people were just bleeding all over the snow in it. Um, this time period is weird too because it's one of those things that they don't really talk about much in American history. Like the whole idea that like one businessman controls an entire portion of New York. And I mean, it's, know, it's not one of, businessman, but it is. Uh, Pulitzer did have a lot of power, obviously, and a lot of this actually, though, that they don't really discuss is his kind of war with Hearst is what prompts a lot of his actions in this. And you never actually see Hearst, I think, other than that one, like, quick gambling scene that they have. But it's just, it's all about white men kind of wanting more power, and the people that take the fall for that are people that have no money, have no power, and have no stakes in it, really. You'd have to think that in a post-Reagan, like, America, this movie coming out would have been weird, too, because it very much is about the idea of, like, the economics of the situation they're going through, where they're told that they can just pay the, the few, you know, tenths of a cent more for the papers, and they're like, we're going to go on strike because this is not fair to us. And, you know, his attitude about them was just that it'll be incentive for them to sell more. And that's that's an attitude I've seen repeated by people um, as close as today. Like a job that I I had not too long ago basically told us that they were paying less per hour because they had unlimited overtime. It's incentive to just come and work more. And like that sort of attitude isn't really gone. So it's weird to see a Disney movie kind of push that because it's not the normal, at least back then, it's not the normal kind of attitude they pushed about things where it wasn't really controversial. It was more of an attitude like they would push good, good feeling sort of attitudes like, you know, believe in yourself and stuff like that. I mean, that and not has stuff like fight the man or something. Of, it does have a little bit of the believe in yourself and create your own family kind of vibe to it. But it it's also interesting to me that they portray Pulitzer, who's someone that we today kind of revere in the world of journalism, Idolize, like yeah. the Pulitzer Prize. They portray him, you know, as a villain. And that's pretty interesting, especially because he's not an extremely well-known figure that you're like, oh, he obviously has some bad sides too, like we do with Thomas Jefferson. I mean, I, I think that it, 
I think that it's one of those things where it plays heavily into the ideas of the time. Um, you know, they, they also portray Teddy Roosevelt as sort of this, like, he's Governor Roosevelt at that point, but they portray him as almost this... Um, he's, he's a mythic know, kind of god figure yeah, in everything that he's figure, in, like, always. And he's so orange. He's just the orangest man. Like, he looks like a baked ham. He's so red <laughs> or orange. And I was like, is he going to give out on set? That actor does not look well. I hope that's makeup. And, um, yeah, like, it is weird, though, that they, they name drop Pulitzer like that and then just drag him through the mud most of the movie. But he's also not, he doesn't seem cartoonishly evil. Like, he's not like Snidely Whiplash, like, tying women to train tracks and stuff. And I think a lot of the evil done in his name is more of, like, a sort of organization of evil below him that has too much leeway like it feels like snyder is more evil than him and the two little goons that like help the uh the guy the weasel guy out those people are eviler than him in a hands-on kind of way it's just that he looks the other way for he, he has the he has the option of not thinking about what he's doing is bad he doesn't have to like really confront the reality of the fact that he's making life hard for these kids that are already struggling just to get by yeah and then when when they those near the end of the movie they attack that sarah girl um and they push her in the alleyway and they beat her little brother up. like so they beat up a child like these two men that were almost grown or grown beat up a small child and throw him into a bunch of those old milk jugs you used to milk cows into and then while he's laying there, they push his sister back in the alley. And I was like, are they going to like try to like rape this girl? Like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. In incredibly close to that, it feels like, because they talk about how she's like the best part of their family. And it's yeah. very, very creepy. It's so unsettling. Even just the scene before where they're trailing her down the street, like as a woman, it just makes me so uncomfortable. And I hate watching that scene. I hate it. What's more uncomfortable about it is that the street's not empty. Like, there were people. Her brother maybe is literally feet. right behind her, and he doesn't do anything until, it, like, they start to push her in the alley. Well, no, I mean, but there there are people 20 feet, like, like uh, adults, like, like real grown adults, like 20 feet away, like sweeping their steps or whatever or on their stoop. And she walks past and says hi to them. And she walks about, you know, 15 more feet out before they start harassing her. And then five feet later, they like push her into an alleyway and no one looks up or comes to aid her or anything. And you're just like, I mean, you know, you hear stories about that all the time, how like witnesses think, oh, someone else is going to do something. But it's still like in a Disney film, you're like, man, will somebody do something? This <laughs> like, movie has so many harsh realities in it. Like, it's it's very jarring for a Disney movie. Like, you can see how it's a Disney movie, but you're also like, how is this a Disney movie? And, and one kid gets out a brass knuckle and like puts it on after that. I'm like, what is happening right now? They're going to beat this kid <laughs> to death. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like a child fight club in some scenes as well. There's so much violence against kids. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And there's, there's not just violence, like two kids fighting. It's like, you know, not even cartoony violence. There's like mass fights between adults with clubs and chains and shit, like beating up children. You're like, this is the worst thing. And then you have like Like, the scene where the police are there to kind of protect the businessman's interest in letting these children get beat up and they won't let Bill Bill Pullman in there to report on it. And he's like, what are you guys going to do? And they're just like, uh, and, and then I think the police are the ones that hit bail on the stairs or either that or a group of like, yeah, they, they straight up like punch him and he falls backwards on the stairs. 
Yeah, they like they, they didn't just punch him. They like Mortal Kombat uppercut him like <laughs> that was, that until was he's crowd surfing. Yeah, like he flies up in the air like all like all limbs off the ground, not touching the floor at all, and lands on his back like crowd surfing, and they kind of carry him away. And um it, it was it was dark. Like I I thought Disney didn't get this kind of dark in live action until I mean, they don't um, anymore. But this they do. was they do. I I wouldn't really say that. This is very kind of a, a, a one off TV for children. I don't think not in the daytime. No, not during a daytime. You might be able to get away with this one as uh, like an eight p.m. or nine p.m. movie um, on like ABC, not necessarily on Disney Channel. Um, and even then, you probably still have some significant cuts for you know time and for content. And I'll say this right now. I don't know if this ever went through, but there was a push a few years ago to make it so that any movie where somebody smoked, it was rated R. And so if that happened, this movie would be automatically considered rated Just R. Just the smoking in this movie alone by all the children is so crazy. Like, like it's not. And the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, he's just got like a stick or a straw in his mouth. I was like, oh, no, they're blowing smoke at each other. And then like kids had cigars. Like kids have like full on like just they're smoking. Like they're talking about gambling, they're talking about fighting. Like at one point, the discussion becomes: if people won't join their union, we're just gonna beat their ass. And the kids from Brooklyn is kind of pushing for that, and they uh, David has to kind of push them, like hold them back and get them under control because they're totally ready to go to war with other boroughs of the city because they won't like get in line. I mean, it's those weird things like that are so crazy, but like to me, those are like very realistic kind of contextual details that kind of help flesh out the period more um just like they also have like kids that are like bad at dancing and like trip or something even when they're fighting and that just cracks me up because i'm like that's so realistic to have like you're gonna have a few kids that are just really bad at it they're gonna try what they can but they're gonna their pants are gonna fall down or they're just gonna trip and like <laughs> yeah, i did not notice that i was gonna say what's funny is that um for a time period movie, a lot of the time what they do is they try to scrub the history out of it and make it so that it's like it's cleaner and more friendly. But they don't do that. Like they show that these adults were exploiting these kids and they show that kids were beating each other up and like homeless well, and like they also and relate stuff. it back to like sweatshops and things like that. And that's like, whoa. <laughs> Does that one kid have polio? I don't know what his deal is. No one ever really says what crutch he has, but I think you can infer that it's some (laughs) something like polio or something like just a birth defect. Yeah, Crutchy's gonna he's got a club foot or something. And um, also another weird scene for me. This is the very end of the movie when um, uh, Jack is kissing Sarah. And right behind her is her is her brother. Like he's just kind of like watching them. I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. Like this is uncomfortable for me too. I mean, but I mean, back then, like your family was involved in like every detail of your life. Like they live in like a one bedroom apart like, apartment. Like, <laughs> like they're just like always in each rooms, other's business. Like there's no other place to go. <laughs> well, he was kissing her like on the on, in the street, so it wasn't like it was anywhere right. he could have you know not seen it, but. And, and there's another thing that they don't really call out, but whenever Roosevelt leaves, the kid from Brooklyn, uh, I think his name was was Spot. Right? Spot Conlon. He's a real person, by the yeah. way. Yeah, really. A well, lot of these kids are actually like a... based on real people. Jack Kelly is like is a is a figment, but uh, Spot Conlon, Racetrack Higgins, those are all actually real people that they base these kids on. But but Spot is riding the um the 
car with Roosevelt, I guess, back to his borough. Like, he's just catching a ride like it's a taxi. And um, I was going to say that, yeah, like, this, it kind of felt like one of those Assassin's Creed games where you meet historical figures, and you're not sure if they're historical figures till you look them up, but, like, the way they flesh them out or whatever, it's just like, oh, we're going we're gonna to go see, you know, Roosevelt now about this, and, you know, <laughs> here's Pulitzer. And so I wasn't sure if anybody was real. Like, I, I kind of wondered in my head if this was based on some real thing that happened. It is. And they just inserted, okay, so that, that makes more sense now. It is based on the Newsboys strike of 1899, um, which was pretty influential in that it changed things for the newsboys. Um, I, I was reading a little bit earlier that after the strike, Pulitzer actually went so far, like, is to hold, like, weekly, like, movie nights, essentially, for kids at local theaters. Um, some of the other newspapers did, like, monthly events for them, but Pulitzer did weekly things. I feel like people don't talk about the turn of the century from 1800 to 1900 very much. There's a lot of weird, like, there's weird wars that no one discusses anymore and weird political stuff that happen and just other weird things that happen. And it's, like, it's kind of good to see a Disney movie about something so offbeat and violent and kind of not, like, these kids are definitely the good guys, but they're definitely doing some bad things. Like, you know, beating other people up because they won't join your union is, is definitely frowned upon by unions today. You can't just beat up the other police or firefighters because they won't get in line. And um, But I mean, it's, you it's know, also it's, it's very contextual. Like, these kids, like, they have to steal food sometimes just to live, and that's what gets them in trouble, which, it's just kind of a cycle, and it's something that we I think we still see today on a different scale. Yeah, I, I would say that, like, it would be like if someone said they were selling, like, a low, uh, like, a not dangerous drug to get food, to get money for their family. Like, if they were just selling weed or something to get money for their family. It'd be something similar to that. And uh, it would be funny because, like, I could see how this kind of would be a controversial film. It would be the same way that if, like, when we were, like, 50 years old, someone came back and made a movie about like, you know, gang wars that happened in the 80s. And it would be weird because, you know, that was a real thing that happened. And when this movie came out, there were probably people still alive that had kind of been around when this happened. They, they would be uh, really old. <laughs> they might not. They probably wouldn't have seen this movie because this movie takes place in 1899 and this movie came out in 92. Um, yeah, they'd be they'd be almost 100 years old. But I mean, there's a few of them like even when, uh, was it Pulitzer that said he was in the Civil War? So, no, it wasn't Pulitzer. It was someone else. Someone yeah, but at that, that point, War. though, the Civil War was only 30 years prior. So. 40. 40, wasn't it? It was in the 1860s. So, like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that that's just a weird contextual thing to think about. That, you know, here's, this is 13 years before the Titanic. And people that were alive had fought in the Civil War. And it's just weird to think that that, like, you know, history works that way. Obviously, it just goes forward all the time. It just is never as far back as you kind of think it is. Well, yeah, you just, you don't think about the idea that at the same time this was happening, people were alive that did this. Another thing that kind of struck me as weird, and maybe this is a time period issue also, was this his whole thing about Santa Fe. I was like, no one has ever wanted to be in Santa Fe this badly. There's nothing in New Mexico that, to go to. At like, that point, though, you are, he doesn't, you don't know that at that time, because like, the whole kind of Western U.S. at this point is still kind of a blank like a slate. Mythical. 
It's like this mythical land. Well, I mean, it is. He's talking about New Mexico in multiple songs. They talk about it a lot in um, Gone with the Wind as well. They do? They, they talk a lot about going to Texas, going to California, because it's it's new. Like, there are no... There's just, there's no kind of history to it other than, you know, the kind of, it's current then, like it's a new place. So they get to start over. It's funny to me because they, they talk about going to these places in this movie. Like, oh, oh I got to get to Santa Fe where, you know, it's wide open and blah, blah, blah. And then later on, they sing about how it's great that it's cold outside or that winter's coming. Well, I was like, if you go to Santa Fe, you can, you can nix that shit because it will never be winter again the way you know it. It will be cooler But I mean, these, are, December chi- these are children. March. They don't necessarily know <laughs> they that. Think like, about things. They're not, like, again, the, the whole Western part of the U.S. at this point is not widely studied. It's not... There isn't a lot of basis for them to learn about it other than what they're reading in their dime novels. Like, it's new yeah. to them. They're not going to have, like, that point of reference of, oh, this place is always cold or this place is always warm. It, they're just going to know what they it's just crazy. read in those little no- novels if they can even read. It's just crazy to me to think that there was a time in the U.S. where people hadn't, where, you know, the settlers hadn't just walked across the whole thing and seen what was there because it, it's, it's a big piece of land. But... It just feels weird to think that this was not all explored at, you know, the turn of the century to a lot of people. And you said you you said reading. Speaking of reading, all these kids seem to be able to read. Like they are reading. Not the all of them. There's some especially like if you see in the scene where they're passing out their their newsies yeah. banner that they ask kids if they can read. And I don't think even all the newsies can read because some of them have Jack read the headlines to them. So that they know oh, okay. what to I remember, I, I remember seeing scenes where they were like, sweep the camera through. And there was like dozens of children just standing along the street just reading newspapers. I'm like, can they read? And, um, you know, they they worked at pen, that printing press earlier in the movie. Of course, you know, that was Jack and um, and Bill Pullman's character. Um, and Sarah. She was there, too. Yeah, Sarah. Is David there? Uh, probably. And Les, But I I'm feel sure. like David... I feel like David and Sarah can read because I feel like they're yes, like they're they're a middle more. class family. Like, yeah, he's not. That's why they're not initially accepted by the newsies because they're not poor. They have a, like a family to go back to. They have this kind of almost normal life, except that it's taken a turn because David and Sarah's father has been in an accident and he doesn't have a union to help protect his rights because he's hurt and he probably can't go back to work anymore. Yeah, and and then once uh once Jack gets to their house, he's like making eyes at Sarah. I was like, oh, this is that's where this is going. Like Sarah is, she's such a non character in this movie up until like the very very end, and even then she's barely her own character. Yeah, she she doesn't really have much motivation. Like like she talks about how she has a job, sad. but like what does what does she do? Like how does she contribute? Like what does she feel about all this stuff other than like encouraging Jack to do it or encouraging her brothers? Like she's just, she seems to have a job that involves laundry. Like she's carrying a basket at one point. Well, that's because she's at home doing chores. Oh, <laughs> I mean, she's in the street with the basket. So I was that's, like, that basket was in the street. Shopping, made it you didn't job. have like cars. Like, I thought she. I thought she had a basket of clothes in the street when those boys attacked her. I think it was like a cloth covering food. Oh, okay. I, I thought that was like sheets she was bringing home to fold up or taking somewhere else or something. But I mean, yeah, she does mention have a job, and I did see other women with jobs, but they like she, she says she never, has a job, but like they never reference like what it is that she does, yeah, or how she contributes, or like they just never really even go into like how old she is, like you know, 
what her role is. She's just there for, for Jack to fall in love with and for her to encourage her brothers. You barely even see the parents in this uh, situation. Like, Bill Pullman is is a much more, like, present adult for all of this. Mm-hmm. And what I do like about this is the... I like the, the trust in journalism. It's kind of funny to see that in... Especially, like, going on, like, right now, how journalism is kind of, like, regarded as as fake by, like, half the population and, you know, not trusted by a lot of people. And it's neat to see, like, a time when they're just like, yeah, if they write it in the paper, it's true. And, you know, people just trust it, printed words. Like, even when they pass out the flyers from the newsies at the end, people just trust that paper because it came, you know, printed out and stuff. And it, it was enough to cause an uproar. Like, they were like, you know, this is this is a thing that's going on. Well, like, Bill, nobody doubted it or... Bill Pullman has a really great line um, when he's explaining why he's been shoved off the Newsies strike story. And he talks about how if it's printed, it happened. But if it's not printed, it didn't happen. Which is why, you know, Jack's frustrated because the rally where he, you know, was taken wasn't covered. Because Bill Pullman wasn't allowed to cover it. And so people didn't know well, that it happened. The papers actually just kind of went and said, we're going to just as a collective, not print this. That was an interesting thing because it shows the papers are not infallible, but at the same time, the public does trust the idea that the media is, is more or less a neutral entity that when they say something happened, it did. And I mean, granted, I, I'm not saying that they were always correct, but they trusted them enough that they would be mostly correct. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole idea of the media as the fourth estate. It's there to hold other government entities accountable for things. And that's ultimately what happens in this movie. But it it's interesting that, like, the business aspect starts to, like, kind of conflict with that idea. And that's what causes a lot of the problems, like, with Bill Pullman's character. Yeah, it's interesting to see that um, this is probably early in there being a large paper, like a paper that controlling over an area. And so it's interesting to see that when the paper's interests conflict with the story going on, that it becomes a problem. And there's no one else to pick up the slack because there was no internet back then or TV or whatever. There was like newspapers. And if the newspapers were going to print something, like Bill Pullman says, it didn't happen. And that was just an interesting kind of dynamic they had going on there. Well, and it's something also that I think Jack understands and he uses it to his advantage when he's selling papers. Um, that's why he reads the paper before he goes and sells it. And he pulls out really bizarre, like tiny things and makes them into like, you know, big like tabloid style headlines when he's trying to sell the papers. Really well, he talks to Sarah and he's like, the ones that sell best have words like corpse or, or, or maniac or- <laughs> in them. They're nude. Yeah, and th- but then like when he's selling the papers, when he's teaching David and Les how to sell, he's talking about this big fire that happened and it it raged over at Ellis Island and they're like, wait, where's this story? And you know, he's like, oh, it's page nine. And he's like, there was a trash fire. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, you got you got to embellish kind of a little a, bit. He's kind of the tabloid king, Jack Kelly. He started, you know spicing up those tmc headlines to get readers <laughs> he's like a uh he's 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 a very like scoundrelly character too like he's he definitely has like that sort of han solo-esque quality to him where you're like he's the good guy but at the same time i don't trust he's, he's that the he lovable just, rogue 
Yeah. And and I, I kind of felt like this was going to be like a almost like a great Gatsby situation where David kind of like was there as a a surrogate for the person watching all this happen. But um, David in a way, David is a, to an, especially early in the movie, like when you're learning about the newsies. Like that's but how David becomes likes. like their voice eventually. But initially, he is kind of the, that's kind of the intro into the world of the newsies. Is David and Les learning how to sell? Yeah. And I like whenever uh, Jack kind of gets the money later in the movie and turns sides. It's really funny to me that he, he like, goes away and there's, like, that big fight between the two of them where they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm, I can't be a kid forever. And he's like, well, you taught me to, to lead this strike, so I'm going to keep leading it. And that goes on for exactly all of one scene. Like, he goes to lead the strike. <laughs> Then his sister and his brother get attacked, and he gets attacked, and then Jack comes right back and saves him. Like, I feel like they they were running long on the movie at that point. They're like, well, we can't afford to drag this out. Like, there's a lot that happens in this movie. Like, they establish the newsies and what it is that they do. Then they establish why Pulitzer is raising the costs, and then there's there's so many things going on. And this is a long movie for a Disney movie. It's two hours and one minute, like total running time. And they even go through and they establish other things as not just being coincidence. Like Jack goes to break Crutchy out of the, yeah, the refuge and they don't break him out, but that's grounds later on for David to be able to break in because he's seen Jack do it. And it doesn't feel so tacked on or unrealistic because it's a place he's been before and a thing he knows how to do. Right. And then they've and, also got the Teddy Roosevelt thing, which it's a little bit of a day six mocking at the very end. But it's something that they've referenced from the very beginning of the movie. Of That's how Jack originally broke out of the refuge was he hid on Teddy Roosevelt's carriage. And it's just something that keeps getting referenced and no one believes him <laughs> initially. But. Well... The thing is, is that they, it's not even a deus ex machina because they explain why Roosevelt was there pretty well and why he would take an interest. It just, but things magically like, wrap up once he appears, is, is my point. Oh, well, I mean, once the governor came down, you know, back then, it was that's about as much trouble as you're going to well, get into. Well, kind of, but I mean, at that point, though, you'd, already, you'd previously had the mayor involved and he was the one that helped put Jack away at the behest of Pulitzer. So it's interesting that between mayor and governor, there's such a huge... <laughs> difference in what's right to do well i i think that that might be just like an idolization of roosevelt or it also might be a kind of idea that the governor's interests aren't as short-sighted as just the immediate money like the governor has voters to worry about in the larger state area and some of these children will also be voters someday and he doesn't want to deal with that backlash from them or riots because if there's riots the money has to come out of his coffers to to you know fix the city more than the mayor's so i feel like that might have been just him trying to quell something and also like they had clearly lied to him earlier because that was the whole idea that he came to inspect those places and he thought they were okay and they weren't yeah the little child jail but it's just interesting because he doesn't appear at all. He's just referenced, and then suddenly he appears, and everything is better. 
I, I felt like he was going to appear once they like once they gave two references because it, at first he said that he escaped in the carriage with Roosevelt and I thought it would be like a Jack Sparrow oh I tied these turtles together and rode them away <laughs> sort of thing but then he kept repeat they kept repeating it and they kept bringing it up and I was like oh before this movie ends there's gonna be some guy who's like you know in a Roosevelt you know mask or something that comes out and he's gonna be like you know I, I didn't think he'd fix the problems I thought it would be more like he would come up to Jack at the end and congratulate him and was like oh, I remember you and then they'd be like oh like freaking out but it was way more like important than that yeah I was gonna say another thing like what age were you when you saw this movie the first time the first time I saw this movie I was I think probably about 15 or 16 okay I thought you might have been younger and I was also gonna ask did you feel like they did something to Sarah's clothes to make her look like like she was like bigger chested. So I actually have some fun details about her clothes is that she wore a lot of period clothing in this movie. Yeah. Um, like actual vintage clothing. Oh, okay. I, I mean, it looked like it was correct for the period, but it just, it looked like they had done something. Cause I've seen that actress before and I was like, Oh, she looks a lot different. Like her body looks different here. Like she looks like they, put like a corset on her or something and, and squeeze well, her, her. If she's wearing period accurate clothing and they probably did have to do something like a corset, you know, to, to fit into the clothing. Um, I okay. know during some of like one of the dance numbers, she's wearing an, a period dress and it's one that I guess between every take, the costume designer had to come and stitch up holes because there was too much wow. movement for the old dress. <laughs> well, she had, um, she has these big belts on too, or like these wraps around her, um, her, her kind of midriff area that are like that look very appropriate for the time. Um, there's a lot of rope belts on the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's just like little details like that. I think really make this seem kind of accurate for the time period, which is crazy for such a small budget that this movie had. The thing I've never seen before done in American films, and it, it probably is common, I just might not have noticed it, but there's a part where Jack is walking around with the suspenders off. They're just hanging down on the sides. And to me, that's always been like a Japanese thing. Like I see a lot of anime and like a lot of just actual Japanese live action where people do that as a style choice. And I was like, oh, I didn't know people actually were doing that because, you know, the suspenders are there for hold your pants up. If they're not up on you, they won't hold your pants up. Well, I mean, in theory, like your pants aren't that loose all the time that you can't walk down with them for a little bit. I mean, probably for all day wear. Yes, putting them up is good. (laughs) Yeah, it was just it it was like there was like a lot of little things that I noticed uh, costume wise that made it look authentic. And, you know, like you said, the set helped a lot, too. Um, It's a backlot for sure, but it's definitely not one of those bad bad lots where you're just like seeing planes fly over and stuff like that that shouldn't happen yeah no it was they did very good use of kind of combining the back lot with you know when they do like their wide angle shots of the city where they're actually kind of like more like a painting which i'm sure actually was a painting <laughs> it is a painting yeah to me it doesn't look real real but it looks like sort of surrealist like that vanilla sky kind of thing where it doesn't look right, but it doesn't look fake. It just looks like a dream world or kind of like a historical document. So it kind of works. Like I wonder if it was actually intentional because there's a wide shot where they pull out over a street and you can see kind of in the distance, like the factory folks, uh, mm-hmm. factory smokestacks and stuff. And it looks very surrealist and kind of like 
like the warm sepia and the reds and the like the kind of yellowish sky it just looks very like surreal and interesting and and historical yeah well, another fun thing talking about the uh the costumes i love that the pulitzer wears like a hugh hefner style smoking jacket <laughs> it's me that just like cements kind of the villain status just like in that one piece of clothing. They go to his house at one point, which I actually thought they were going to reveal that like Jack was Pulitzer's son. I thought that's where this was going was that he was like a runaway son that they couldn't keep in check and they were returning him to his father. But they go to his house and it looks like, and I don't know if you ever, you, you say you never watch Simpsons, I don't think. I, but the no, house looks like, like Mr. Burns' house. It's just like, it looks the same, like it's that same kind of like evil man mansion where there's like the gate kind of coming around like a circle drive and the house is off in the distance. And it looks so extravagant and so big and like kind of like gilded and stuff that it, it, it sets a real contrast to the rest of the film. Like even his office, like this, this house looks, you know, way too nice and clean to be from that time period almost. It's just a different part of that time period. It's, you kind of talk about like the Great Gatsby, which this is a, obviously a little bit before the setting of the Great Gatsby, but it's there's a very distinct difference between how the rich live and how the poor live, especially in history. Like some people have dirt floors and other people have mansions, and it's crazy. Yeah, I mean they they move him from the refuge house to that basement, and I'm like, this is almost worse. Like this feels like it would actually be a, le- a less comfortable place to sleep in than the other place. Well, I mean, it was supposed to kind of be, he's just, it's him being under Poulter's control because he's in Poulter's building, like sleeping in the basement. He's kind of indentured to him at that point is why he's there. Yeah. And he even finds that printing press. So that was kind of a, that was like a neat little detail for later. Mm -hmm. Lots of things come full circle in this movie. (laughs) It wraps up very, very nicely. It's got that kind of um, hot fuzz sort of filmmaking where there's like not a line mentioned earlier that doesn't come back in some way and get used. And it's like a very conservative type of film where like everything is like you have to use every part of the film, you know, later. But it it does. If you go too far with that, it does start to feel kind of manufactured, but it doesn't feel like that with this. It just feels like it's like they considered what they were writing when they wrote it and didn't just throw shit on the page. Like when they mentioned the unions early on, I didn't know that this movie was about this. And he mentioned his dad got hurt. I thought this would just be kind of be like a passing point, and then they would go on to do something else with the newsies um, later on. But it was totally about the union thing and about them forming their own union. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it's it's mentioned in like a lot of like the the headlines that they're kind of passing out that first day, and that's you know they see the the strike firsthand. And it's just, and it's interesting that like kind of, it, it builds your awareness of that, but you don't, you're not really paying attention to it at that point. Cause you're like, oh, this is just something that they're seeing and it's something that's happening around yeah. them. And you see the fire and stuff and people running away and the strike going and like, yeah, like it, it makes it feel like there's some danger involved around them, but you're not sure if it's just establishing the time period and like the world they live in. Right. Or if it's actually an important part of the action of the film. So, um, I made a really funny joke to myself while I was watching this. Uh, 
Well, and they were printing out the the Newsies banner and they were passing it out. And it reminded me <laughs> of Korg in Thor Ragnarok when he talks about how he didn't print <laughs> enough pamphlets. And in this case, they printed more than enough pamphlets. Oh, yeah. Like when they started printing them out, they pulled that first stack off. And I was like, that's not enough, bro. And then they started coming out with like these huge drafts. I was like, where's this paper coming from? Like, you know, they did it overnight, and I got I got to imagine that that's got to be hard to do because you can't just, like, type it on a typewriter. You have to sit there and put the letters in the order, in the spaces. Well, that's why they like, only did one-sided one page. Um, yeah. Because it is obviously very difficult, but it just – it just I made that really funny joke to myself about how Korg would be so happy. <laughs> they had enough pamphlets. They yeah. did, and they and their, their strike worked. <laughs> I tried my best to keep myself like in the world of the film this time. The one thing I did say was uh, that he was doing a prototype bat voice. Yeah. Like, Christian Bale was just like, this is like, it, like, cause the bat voice got thicker and worse as it went on. And I was like, this is where it started. And then it just got worse and worse in every time he did it in their movie. Um, <laughs> but I was going to talk about how the accents, like considering that these are all child actors, I thought their accents were a plus. Like, for the time period and, like, the location. Uh, most of them are doing a pretty good job. I don't think Sarah's even attempting an accent. She no. just speaks normal. Sarah and David and Les do not have an accent. I don't know if that's supposed to be emblematic of them being I thought class. David kind of had one. I didn't think he had one. They spoke, like, the most, like, naturally. Like, it seemed like they weren't putting on any accents. And I think, I think that's supposed to be maybe a representation of them being the middle class. That they've had some education, maybe. Yeah, or, or that they're from somewhere slightly different or something. Right. Um, but everyone else has... Christian Bales goes in and out, <laughs> depending on what... <laughs> Christian how, Bales... It, like, depending if he's, like, whispering or, or if he's, like, talking to someone. Like, depending on who he's his talking like, to, <laughs> it, it changes. So, like, his weird, like... His weird... Like, he does this weird pucker his mouth thing. Like, not like pucker his lips, but he, like, kind of, like, makes his whole mouth into, like, a cone and just shoots air through it, it feels like. Yeah. and And then... um. He also, like, won't just not close his mouth sometimes. He like, has weird lips. Line. Like, they kind of just hang there. And this <laughs> yeah, is something I hate in Batman line. as well. Like, he's got weird lips. Like, they cover his teeth strangely. <laughs> it's even weirder in Batman because he has the mask on. Right. And so and all you can see, see the is the lips. <laughs> but, yeah, like, he actually will, he'll say a line and stop. And his mouth is still open. And he'll pause, like, is there more than the line? Oh, he's just got his mouth open. <laughs> okay. Think, like, what I think it is is, like, his teeth, like, are closed. But his lips kind of just hang open. Maybe he has veneers or something that are, like, on top of his teeth that make him do well, that. Well, no, because then, you can, then you'd be able to see them. And you don't really see his teeth at all. Like, you can barely see his top teeth. Like, his lip hangs over them strange. <laughs> <laughs> were you like looking at the tv like trying to get all low Can i don't I christian particularly like christian bale <laughs> so i mean i've heard he's an asshole in real life i've heard like horror yeah, again, like him he, on set. he talks about how he hates this movie and i'm like you're actually decent in this movie and it's a fun role like i think he's oh, yeah i just i think he's an asshole so i'm not particularly prone to like him in anything i do like him I just because like he- i can't imagine anyone else for the most part in this role but I feel like he he probably has some hang up about it because well, a lot he was of times, upset like, that it was because it was I guess he signed on when it was supposed to be a drama and, and so it was he a was musical upset later. that it, when it became a musical he was very upset. And I could see that. I could see I mean there there's a lot of stories of actors signing on to a movie for one reason and then getting their stuff dr- dramatically changed. 
And it's weird to me that they, when they changed it to a musical, they didn't recast him because it requires him to sing a lot in it, you know? um, To an extent, but I don't know if you've noticed, but he's actually not at the forefront of most of the the bigger musical numbers. He's actually kind of mixed in with the ensemble. He sings alone a few times, though. A few times, but that's mostly because story dictates it. But in any of the bigger numbers... He is not center. He is, you know, kind of left of center in the middle of the pack. And it's yeah. interesting. I mean, I think that it was a good choice to to definitely, like, limit him having to sing alone. But he's not bad at it. It's not a bad singing job. It's just, it's right. awkward because it's Kristen Bale to me. I mean, I think if he was a bad singer, they would have recast him. Like, <laughs> that is a big deal. But I'm sure he or his agent were probably like, yeah, he can still do it. Like not what he originally signed on for but he'll do it like <laughs> yeah i feel like when you're especially when you're a younger actor or an actor that's that's got less roles coming to you you're going to try to do whatever you know is thrown at you right i mean that's how john travolta got so famous was because of his roles in like musicals and things like that and, and i mean like you can get actors that are just that are put in a movie and their roles cut dramatically and they might not get any screen time uh jenna malone in uh uh, Batman v Superman. I don't think she's on screen at all in the movie, but she was there on set. Like they had stuff shot with her. Um, Ernie Hudson was supposedly on page six of Ghostbusters, and they cut his role back to page sixty. So like people definitely go to a movie like with one idea in mind, and they sign on with one idea, and then they get their stuff cut back, and they're already signed on. They can't really get out of it. That's, they just that's do their how best Hollywood job. works. Like you're signing yeah. the contract to be a part of it regardless of the changes and that's something you have to go into with your eyes open if you're considering leaving it all because you're only into it for one reason then and if you get paid right you still get paid um you might not get the exposure that you would otherwise uh but that's that's kind of the trade-off yeah i i think that I don't know if this is if the is the exposure Christian Bale wanted because if he wanted like he wanted to be a dra- dramatic actor obviously like the roles he's picked up since then show that right American Psycho even the Batman movie like is very dramatic. I I hate American Psycho. I hate the author of the books that's based on. I don't know it was based on the book, but I mean I didn't particularly like it because it it just felt like it felt like kind of like uh, almost like shock porn or something like just yeah. shocking things were happening but the the business card scene is golden because it it, it lends itself to really funny memes and it just it's goofy because people were pulling out business cards and talking about how you know amazing this print was or whatever and christian bell in that even like the way he approached that role it felt like he did too much work for it and so i could see him being the kind of person like i feel like if he couldn't sing well for Newsies, that he would have gone somewhere and gotten coaching or, you know, practice singing on his own to get it. Like, he might not have been able to sing before this movie. He might have taught himself to do it. I mean, maybe. At that point in his career, he might not have had all the resources that drive, to go out and yeah. get, like, his own coaching for that. Like, because I know all the, like, whenever you do a musical, all of the cast goes in for dance rehearsals <laughs> and some singing lessons, like, and then it's part of the movie's cost. So he he obviously had some coaching through the movie, but if he was kind of hopeless at it, like <laughs> that would have been a different thing. Like he just can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> like like Pierce Brosnan and Mamma Mia. Like I love Pierce Brosnan, but he should never, ever sing. He tries, and I appreciate that he tries, but he should not do it. 
like when you told me this was a musical, I actually thought Kristen Bell shouldn't be singing either. I was like, this is weird, but it was fine. Did I tell you it was a musical? I, th- I tried not to tell you it was a musical to see how it would change things. I don't remember, but I wrote a note. Actually, one of the first notes I wrote was, I'm trying to remember if she warned me this was a musical or not. I tried not <laughs> because to because they I started singing, and I was like, "Did she tell Bale me this?" <laughs> I mean, that could have ruined the whole movie. I could have been sitting there the whole time going, "Like what? 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 Like." <laughs> I mean, once you pull it up on iTunes to rent it, it says it's a musical, obviously. But I know that you're not particularly fond of musicals, or you haven't seen a lot of them, so I kind of wanted. To surprise you a little bit. Musicals I've seen that I liked. I saw Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I saw Rent. That might be pretty much it for musical musicals, like actual ones. Like, I've seen some, you know, corny YouTube stage plays and stuff that had music in them, but they weren't, like, Those big are kind, of a, kind of a different, different thing. Um, did you have any favorite songs in the movie? No, not really. <laughs> Okay, then. <laughs> I'll just be straight up honest. Um, there were some that I was okay with. Um, for God, me, I can't remember any of them. <laughs> for me, the world will know gets stuck in my head a lot. Just the that little refrain where they're like, the world will know. That just gets stuck in my head all the time. Even if I haven't seen the movie in like months. Like somehow it'll just get stuck in my head. <laughs> Yeah, like that that was an okay one. There's a song that is uh sung when they go in to get the papers the first time. Like they sing it at the end again when they think Jack is gone. That one was was kind of neat. Um and it's kind of neat because they yeah, because when they're singing it, they don't have Jack there. So they like they're like trying to force everybody to like get in their parts or get into a new part. And it's like, "Oh, we're trying to continue our life as normal." But like they also make it feel like he's been gone like days or something, but it's just like Roosevelt just like I guess went around the city far and brought him back. It's the same day. <laughs> You're like, "What?" I don't think he just went around the block and he's like, "I can't stay away from you guys. You're my family." He's like, I just asked him to give me some ice cream. No, he brought me back. <laughs> but no, my favorite song in the movie is probably King of New York. Um, I think it's most people's favorite from this movie. It's the one with Bill Pullman in it. In the yeah, restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, I said, the singing and dancing, not so much my thing. But I wasn't like bothering me. It was just, it was weird. It was weirder when there was no singing and they just start to dance. Like there's a part where he dances in the <laughs> There's a lot of night. dance solos and like Christian yeah, Bale's weird like, dance solo is so funny. <laughs> I, I turned my head to like make a note of something and there was no talking or noise and I hear like like fabric flapping and I'm like <laughs> I look I was like, Oh, he's dancing again for no reason. He's just dancing in the street. The way that they do them is really funny because it's like the kids are obviously singing and dancing and most people are ignoring them, but Bill Pullman is like watching them every time like they do a big number. Like he's like, Huh, this is a really interesting rally. Well, it, it's funny to me because it feels almost like is, is it a point about New York and their whole tendency to ignore things that they just they don't give a shit about happening around them? Like, and I don't you wonder, think so. I think music- it's just it's a musical. You don't generally pay attention in the inside the musical. In the musical universes, are the people that are not part of the song like do they know it's happening? Is it weird to them? Is, are they aware of it? Like, I, I like that Buffy kind of addressed that in their musical. That like it is weird. People outside of that do see this shit happening and go, "That's weird," but like they were kind of forced into it, and so like. 
I kind of approach musicals like that. Like whenever I think of like I'm watching a musical, like I either think of it as being like a weird flash mob that just keeps breaking out repeatedly, or it's like the Buffy thing. There's a demon and it's just well, making everybody sing and dance on, out of control. It depends on the context of the musical. Like on a show like Glee, most of the music is the people actually performing. Um, well, for yeah, each that's other. different. I've so never that, seen so that. That is different. And that's how some <laughs> musicals are. Like a chorus line is that is that way. Um, but in and many Chicago's like that too, isn't it? Not really. Uh, there's there there's some parts of Chicago that are like that, but most of it is is not that way. It just it depends on the kind of the world within that particular musical of how like if people are supposed to ignore it or if people are supposed to be paying attention to it. And it's this and it's just it's funny in this one because Bill Pullman is like the only person paying attention to it, which is kind of symbolic for you know he is the first person to pay attention to their strike. So that might just be all that it means. <laughs> yeah um i did want to talk about the terrible fight sound effects <laughs> those are pretty great those are so bad <laughs> if by bad you mean great then yeah they're great. like hilariously bad is what i mean like like they're just like bop pow like batman sound effects yeah <laughs> yeah and it's like obviously the for as violent as this movie kind of is to a degree like it's not actually violent it's all very staged yeah. violence, and it's very it's obvious all, like, that the it's staged violence. <laughs> yeah, the punches kind of look like they're stage punches, so it makes it feel less violent in a way. Which is it's probably on purpose, since it is a Disney movie. Like, we're going to get violent, but we're not going to get that violent. It's like, no one ever pulls a gun out or anything like that either. It's always just like a club or a chain or well, you know, there's a stick the, or something. There's brass knuckles and the chain. Those are pretty terrible weapons. Yeah, brass knuckles and a chain will definitely fuck a person up. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying that. It's right. Just that, well, then like, it's it's implied that they almost cripple Crutchy more, uh, the Delancey brothers. Yeah, which is and they also awful. they threaten to uh, they threaten to cripple um, David. Yep, it's a it's a pretty a lot of <laughs> terrible threats in this movie. Yeah, the a lot of violence against children, as we've already discussed, and between different children. Oh yeah, I mean kids roughhouse, but usually not that that badly. Not that rough. <laughs> and then I also appreciated that David kind of saves the day with his numbers about like circulations and percentages and <laughs> you and your math fetish. <laughs> I just love it when numbers save the day. It's great. No so one ever, weird. no one ever likes math, but math does so many important things. I think people like math. It's just, it's difficult to do for a lot of people. Yeah, so they don't like it. Like, people, it's not, I don't think math is actually that difficult. I think people just don't want to put in the effort. <laughs> it can be difficult for some people. It's, some people have a hard time understanding numbers and conceptualizing things like that. It's, it's, it depends on how you think. Like, if you can't think in a way where you can, like, easily imagine or conceptualize a thing, then it can be difficult to do higher level math. Yeah, but I mean, the stuff that David is talking about is pretty basic stuff. I mean, it's basic enough that the people running the paper should have figured that out early on, that, like, they were hurting themselves doing this. And see, I think it's a greed issue, too. I think that he, it's not, it's just about the power. Like, he wants the power of having it over these kids, like they say in the movie, not just the, the, the money. Well, well, for Pulitzer, though, no, it's, it's less about the kids at all. It's about Hearst, which is why it's, it's weird to me that they don't really make Hearst much of a character other than because he is such a big Mentioning character to, to Pulitzer 
and that that's why he's doing this is because he wants to do better than Hearst. Like, he's like the secret villain in this movie. <laughs> right, because like, Hearst is like having no problem selling papers. Hearst is you know, doing great. He's got better headlines. He just stole away some of like their copy people. And so Poulter's like, well, we need to get them back, so we need more money to do that because I don't want to give up any of the current money that I have. I mean, the one guy suggests yeah. cutting salaries at the top. <laughs> and Poulter's yeah, like, like nope. Yeah, he's like, we'll cut at the top. Oh, we can't do that. I right. feel like they're, like they're saving Hearst for Newsies, too. That's, what, that's what's happening. <laughs> I mean, they don't really portray Hearst as a bad guy in this one, which is interesting. Just a better businessman. Right. <laughs> like, he's just, he's already successful and he's not dragging, like, his newsies down to get more money. Yeah. That's Pulitzer. And Pulitzer tries to get it to spread to the other papers. And it starts to work up until, you know, everything blows up in his face. And what were you saying about before I, I started uh, that? My, my final note is just that, uh, it's, just, it's kind of a fact about the movie, is that this film was Disney's lowest grossing live action movie at the time. Uh, wow. it, did, it did very, very, very poorly in theaters. Um, it, when I pulled it up, I noticed that the INDB, not the INDB, but the Rotten Tomato score was really low, but then the user score was really high comparatively. Right. So like, interestingly, like, so it only made $2 million at the box office out of a $15 million wow. budget. <laughs> But it turns out that once it hit home release and it went on rentals, it made back its entire budget just in rentals. So it actually became quite popular after the fact, which I think I've, I've noticed because this was a movie that I hadn't seen for a long time, but everyone kind of like talked about it to me, which is why I eventually saw it. It's kind of like a lost Disney movie in a way. Um, when you told me the title, like it, it was familiar to me. But I just never looked into it because right. Disney movies at that time were kind of like if I didn't see a Disney movie animated or whatever, I probably just assumed it wasn't going to be great and just set it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was only two when this came out, so there's no chance I would have seen it in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> but it- yeah, I forget. I, I forget how much younger you are to me because I feel like you feel like more the adult. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, this is just, this is one that, like, a lot of my friends, like, they had on video, and so, like, they had seen it, but it was just one that my parents, I think maybe because it wasn't a big theatrical release to them, they never really saw it, they never, like, brought it home for me, anything like that, so it's one that I didn't see until I was a teenager, but it has such a huge cult following, like, if you check out, like, the iTunes reviews, they're all, like, five stars, (laughs) and, like, that's why it became a Broadway show, was because the movie has, like, such a huge following i mean well after its theatrical release like obviously it's like heathers yeah it things that don't necessarily do well in theaters at the time can become huge things later on oh a lot of movies are like that i mean oh yeah blade runner was the same way and you know a lot of movies that we we a lot of movies we assume now as have been being hits weren't really hits at the time they came out of course like that's that's but, what makes them cult favorites a lot of the times i think that's what we're gonna I be could, doing a lot of on our podcast i could see I could see you, this is a thing I could see that teenage lore being very interested in. I don't know why, it just feels like that to me. Well, I mean, like, this is a thing that I you love just, journalism like, really movies, I, obviously, and I love musicals, so it's, it's a good fit for me. <laughs> yeah, um, this is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, but it is, I think it's just a genuinely good movie that, because it's got some weird subject matter, that it just never got maybe the right marketing or the right attention 
at the time. It gets dark. I mean, Disney Disney has those mistakes they make where they, they go too far dark or they go to, I think another good example is uh, Hunchback Notre, Notre Dame. The movie's dark as hell. And but I mean, Disney doesn't do dark anymore at all. Like, they don't. Because um, it doesn't do well There's some pretty well fucked up shit happening in Frozen. <laughs> like, there's some parts of Frozen where I'm like, whoa, they should have done that. It's not that dark, though. It's not that dark, but it's definitely suggestively weird. Like, the whole, like, fake out with the boyfriend thing. And then that dude trying to swing the sword right at her head. You're <laughs> like, this is like Game of Thrones shit. <laughs> but I mean, like, Disney doesn't ever do, like, intentional dark anymore. Like, because it hasn't worked well for them. And I think this movie kind of shows that. Like, in the theater, it doesn't do well for them. It's funny that people always complain about Disney being too, like, saccharine and sweet and shit. But when they do something, uh, that's just kind of how audiences work. They complain about X, and then someone does X, and then X doesn't do well. And so the studio goes back to doing what they, what they do best, and it works for them. And people seem to think that, like, going dark just makes the thing work better. I'm like, no, it doesn't really. Like, people don't like dark stuff. Like, especially when the world is really bad right then or, like, people are feeling bad about the real world. A dark movie does not help matters. Like, they don't want to watch that shit. It's hard because you can if you can make a movie that relates to a current time period that is a little dark, but, like, it provides some kind of catharsis about it, it can work. But it's very tricky to walk that line between just kind of dramatizing what's already going on and just making it kind of you feel like there's no escape to like for anything else. So it's pretty obvious that Laura like really enjoys this movie and it's like a big part of her teenage years and love of musicals and things. I actually didn't hate it. So, I mean, it's musicals aren't my thing, but this isn't a terrible movie by any standard. And it's interesting to see like Bill Pullman and Christian Bale and Duvall and in this, you know, sort of setting, um, and all and all together, it's it's a weird combination of people. Um, but yeah, like I, this is something I would have probably never picked up on my own or even heard about, like in terms of knowing exactly what it was, because it was just it's it's a more cult sort of movie. So I'm kind of glad she did find this one for me. I mean, I would never pick a movie that I thought you you would hate. Um, <laughs> I know you don't love musicals, but like I figured there's a chance that you would like this one at least from a comedic perspective. Because there, there's just so much to it. Like, you've got Baby Bale, you know. Hashtag <laughs> 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 Baby Bale. <laughs> just, for, just for that experience alone, I think it's worth it just to see Baby Christian Bale. There's a weird sweet spot you can get where I hate a movie, but it's also, like, it, it's just, it's so punchable and terrible you can make fun of it. And then there's, like, I hate a movie to a point where I'm just, like, I'm just kind of, like, I slow down and kind of shut down on it. So, yeah, like, it can be fun, but... But yeah, our tastes are pretty sim- similar to each other's. So most things you like, I'm going to like to some degree. I think most of the time, not 100%. I mean, there, there are definitely it, some exceptions with that. Like there are things that I really like that you really, really hate. And there's things that you really like that like I really what? hate. Like I enjoy the Big Bang Theory. You hate Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's okay. That, that, was an easy, that was an easy answer right there. Big Bang Theory. You like The Simpsons. I can't stand it. Like. There, there are some I don't things. watch Simpsons anymore. I mean, I watched Simpsons as a child, but it, it's one of those things that when you grew up in like the late 80s, early 90s, it was it was everywhere. It was everything. But Simpsons is harder to watch now because society has gone so like wacky that the show had to go wacky to keep up with it. So the show gets really far out there at this point. I'm sure Laura knows, but I don't know what the next movie is yet. So she has to tell me what that is. All right. So actually, this next one is one that you requested. I think it'll be a good uh, one to watch. And it'll be a huge change of pace from this week. We're going to be watching Pan's Labyrinth, 
So oh wow, brush up on your Spanish. Actually, really excited about that. Yeah, I'm I'm down for that totally. Uh, so we pretty much done all we could do, I think, with Newsies and Baby Bail and uh, President Pullman. So we're gonna go ahead and close this thing out. We will be back not next week, but the week after next. So. At the end of the show here, Laura, do you have anything to plug for us uh, as far as Twitters and stuff like that? Uh, well, you can always find me at LauraXJ on all of the social medias. My plugs are only that uh, Twitter account at CTK86, uh, my Instagram at LensOfJustin, where I occasionally post photos I take, but mostly just don't post anything. And... Um, there is a website for this podcast. Uh, it's lastchancetheater.com. So we'd like to thank you for listening to Last Chance Theater and joining us again for another film. And we hope to see you next time. And I've been Justin. I'm Laura. And uh, thanks. See you around. Bye.